So a few weeks ago, we started a new series that I'm calling Unsung, or looking at female heroes in the Bible. Uh, if you read through this, the Bible, you'll realize that throughout Scripture, throughout the story of God's people, from time to time, there are these powerful women who show up at crucial times in God's people's history. They, they function as saviors, as rescuers of God's people, as deliverers of God's Word. But for some reason, we just don't often pay a whole lot of attention to the women. Um, the women in the room can probably say amen to that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's... that's um, I hear that from time to time, and so I wanted to have a, uh, a specific series focused just on the women because I think sometimes we often bypass their stories for whatever reason. Um, and so in the first week, we looked, uh, I'm a big believer that if we want to understand God's vision for His people, we can go back to how things were in the beginning. That's, that's one of Jesus' interpretive principles. He says, in the beginning, it was this way. And so in the first week of this series, we looked at the book of Genesis, and we saw that in the beginning, uh, when, the, when the writer of Genesis tells us that God created the man and the woman, He created them to be equals. He created them to be side by side. He did not create the woman to be subservient to the man and the man to be um, over and above the woman, but he created them to be equal. And then we saw that patriarchy entered into the world as a result of humanity's fall into sin, and it's sort of been that way ever since. And we've been working on, you know, bringing women to their rightful place at the table as equals ever since, but we still suffer from sometimes reading the Bible through a lens of patriarchy or man rule. And so we're spending a few weeks and we're just looking at the women. Men, you can, you can just, uh, you know, believe it or not, men, we can learn from the stories of women. Uh, they learn from the stories of men all of the time, and we preach about Abraham or David or Moses. The women, they learn things from reading the stories of men, and men, we can learn things by reading the stories of these powerful women. Uh, so in week one, we looked at two women that many of us had never heard their names before, Shifra and Pua. They were uh, Hebrew midwives who helped save the, uh, uh, the baby boys in Egypt when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and week Two, we looked at the powerful woman Deborah, a fiery woman who led the nation of Israel and uh, saved them from their captors. And uh, we just saw how God has been working in powerful women all throughout history. So today we are going to fast forward a few hundred years after Deborah, several hundred years, and we're going to look at perhaps the most significant woman in Scripture. Uh, and perhaps one of the most significant people in Scripture uh, it was because of her. She, her decision, as we're going to see, her decision to say yes to God really ended up changing the world. So we're going to look at the story of Mary. I'm calling today's message, Unsung Hail Mary. Unsung Hail Mary. You'll see why we call it that. But before we get to her story, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. As I said, this is several hundred years after Deborah had uh, lived and, and during that time period, David had come and gone, and Solomon had come and gone, and, and Israel had gone off into exile and had been brought back. And during this entire time, God's people had been waiting for a Savior. After God had put David on the throne, he promised David that sometime he would raise up one of David's descendants who would be the king and would be the, the final Savior. And, and God's people had been waiting for this for a long period of time, scholars have a term for this. They call it messianic expectation. Messianic expectation. You can use that as a party at a party this week and make it sound smart. Okay? Messianic expectation. They were expecting a Messiah. A Messiah is an anointed one. 
somebody anointed by God who would be their deliverer. And they've been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting for God to finally send the one who would save them and the one who would rescue them. And so as we read in the story, we're going to start in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, we'll put the, the text up here on the screen. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, the story is going to take us to the little town of Nazareth. Here's how Luke tells us the story. Luke says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Nazareth. The reason that you have heard of Nazareth is in part because of the story that we're going to look at today. Scholars estimate that the town of Nazareth in this time had approximately 200 to 500 people. This is a small town. It's, in the ancient world, Nazareth was nowhere. Right? You, there, there wouldn't have been a stoplight. Right? You wouldn't have even known that you passed it. You can probably, some of you maybe have grown up in towns like that. This is what Nazareth was. A little, little town in the middle of nowhere. Nobody paid any attention to Nazareth in the ancient world. It wasn't Rome. It wasn't um, Athens or Corinth or any of these major cities. Nazareth was a little tiny town nobody paid any attention to. Uh, it's not the place that you would expect world-changing events to take place in. Right? If you think that something's going to happen, it's going to change the world, and this time it's going to happen in Rome, or it's going to happen in one of these other major metropolitan port cities, world-changing events, you would think, don't take place in Nazareth. Very few ancient sources other than Scripture actually mention the town at all. And yet it's a town that more people today know of than maybe know of Corinth or Athens or other places, precisely because of what happens in part in this story. So this, the story goes on. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town of Galilee, uh, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Very good. So Mary, as we're going to see, is a relative nobody living in the middle of nowhere. Uh, at this time, she was probably still a teenager, more than likely. It says she was pledged to be married to Joseph. The being a pledge to be married in that culture was similar to our engagement, but it was more legally binding. So this, we have this young woman, probably a teenager. She's pledged to be married. That was very normal for the time. Um, this is who the angel is sent to. Well, the, the point I want to make, from the outside, Mary was unexceptional. Nobody looking around would have pegged Mary as somebody through whom the world was going to change. Nobody looking at Nazareth would peg Nazareth as a town where life-changing, world-changing events were going to take place. From the outside, from an outsider's perspective, Mary was unexceptional. The same as lots of other young women who were engaged or betrothed to be married to young men at that time. There was, from the outside, there wouldn't have been anything particularly noticeable about her that you would say, hmm, I bet you she's going to do something that's going to change the world. And yet this is the woman that God sends the angel Gabriel to. Here, angel shows up, and he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, we're so familiar with the story, we don't recognize how weird that would have been for Mary, right? Imagine walking down the street, 
and somebody that you don't know, some random stranger shows up and says, greetings, highly favored of the Lord. The Lord is with you. You're like, uh, are you sure you have the right person? I, mean, I don't think I know you. Um, by the way, this phrase is where the term Hail Mary comes from. This could be translated uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. Those of you who may have grown up Catholic, that's where that comes from. Hail means greetings. Uh, Hail Mary, highly favored, means full of grace. This is where that comes from. Uh, so anyway, if you would have been sort of freaked out by a greeting, you're not alone. Mary was kind of freaked out by that greeting. The, Luke tells us, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I probably would too, right? Story goes on, and it gets a little weirder. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now keep in mind, Mary never told this guy her name. So again, put yourself in Mary's sandals. You're walking down the street. This random stranger shows up and knows your name. That would be weird, right? That, that'd probably throw, imagine, especially if you're a teenage girl walking down the street and this man, somebody who looks like a man, shows up and knows your name. I mean, he seems nice enough and he says, you know, you're highly favored, but still, that might be a little creepy, right? And then he says, you have found favor with God, and you're like, I, I think you might have got the wrong guy, or, or gal. I think you might have got the wrong gal, buddy. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. How do you know my name? <laughs> that doesn't bother the angel. The angel keeps talking. <laughs> angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And at this point, I can just imagine Mary being like, hold on a second. Slow down. First of all, who are you? How do you know my name? What do you mean I'm going to have a baby? Right? All of this is a, just a flood of information to this young woman who's just going about her daily business, and all of a sudden, this random stranger shows up and starts to give her information that is going to turn her world upside down. But the angel doesn't slow down. He just keeps speaking. Here's what he says. He says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I've highlighted in yellow here some key phrases, some, some phrases that point to us messianic expectation. This is the language of messianic expectation. You see, if Mary had been paying attention in Saturday school, she would have heard these phrases and she would have started putting these things together. Come on, wait a second. This is the kind of language that, that my Bible, which would have been what we call the Old Testament, her Hebrew Scriptures, this is the kind of language that the Scriptures use to refer to the Messiah, the Savior, the one that God is going to send to liberate Israel and set us free. And at this point, I just imagine you know, if there was somewhere for her to sit down, she may have had to sit down. Her knees may have gotten a little weak as she starts to understand and, and put together what it is that the angel is saying here. This is, this is literally the event that everyone in Israel had been waiting for. This is the thing that everybody had been expecting. And nobody knew when or where it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, this, this teenage young woman, minding her daily business, 
gets interrupted by a stranger who tells her that she is going to give birth to the one that everyone had been waiting for. Talk about life-changing, mind-blowing news. As the kids these days go, right? This is a big deal. And so Mary, naturally, had a very, very important question about all of this. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I love the honesty of this story, right? She hears this, this incredible news that she's going to give birth, and, and her, her question is very logical, right? Um, sir, I know I'm young, but I do know where babies come from. That hasn't happened to me yet. How am I going to have this baby? I love, I love the honest question. So the angel answers her question. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, in case you didn't know this, that's not normally how babies are conceived. If you don't understand what I'm saying, ask your parents after church. That's probably not how you got here. And so again, we have this mind-blowing announcement from the angel. The angel's basically telling Mary, God is going to be the biological father of this child. This has never happened before. If Mary wasn't like on the floor already with this news, that, that this must have, must have done it for her. She, I mean, I, if, this, if, if I was in her sandals, I, don't, I probably would have walked away at this point, right? You're crazy, buddy. That's not how things work, right? But that's not what she does. The, the angel gives her a little bit more information to help uh, uh, give some background and corroborate the, the message here. Angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever what? Fail. So the angel talks to her about her relative Elizabeth, and for this is in order to help Mary give Mary some sort of confirmation. Mary would have known that her relative Elizabeth had been barren, had been unable to, to bear children, and now the angel is telling her that Elizabeth is also pregnant. This is something that Mary can then go and check out and, and verify the angel's story, right? That's, that's sort of why I believe the angel is giving this information to Mary, is so that Mary can go, you know, see that this is true, and, and she'll believe then what has happened to her. And the angel says, for no word of God will ever fail, saying, what has happened, it was impossible for your, for your relative Elizabeth. What seems impossible to you is not impossible with God. Just to be clear, the angel is telling Mary something, telling, that, telling Mary that something is going to happen to her that has never, ever, ever happened to anybody else in human existence. In the history of ever, this has never, ever happened. Now, there was, in messianic expectation, there was this idea that 
the coming Messiah, would be the Son of God in some sense, right? But nobody, nobody was expecting that God would be the actual biological father of this Messiah. This is mind, I, I don't know how to emphasize enough that this is mind-blowing information for Mary. This I think, you know, we're so familiar with the story. We read it every year around Christmas time, right? We're so familiar that this information would have just been, it would have sounded crazy to Mary that this unexceptional girl in this unexceptional place is going to give birth to the Messiah. And not only that, but that the Messiah is going to be the literal son of God. I mean, if it, if it were me, and it couldn't because, I mean, I, I don't have the ability to produce children in that sense. But if it were me, I would have a million questions, right? I would need some details and some drawings, right? And I, I would need, but, but that's, that's not how Mary responded. How'd she respond? Luke tells us, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her, <laughs> drops a bomb, takes off. Her response, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I don't think we understand the significance of what happens here. Mary is told that something utterly impossible is going to happen to her. And not only that, that what is going to happen to her is, is so significant, it, it is going to alter the course of human history. And they believed that the Messiah was going to do that. They didn't know how, but they believed the Messiah was going to do that. And Mary's response is, okay, right, sure. You know, I'm the Lord's servant, whatever he needs, whatever you need, God, I'll say yes. We don't, we don't often recognize that by her saying yes to this, she's literally putting herself in her life at risk. Because in that age, in that culture, to be found with child outside of marriage could cost you your very life. When her fiancé Joseph is, finds out that she's pregnant and he knows he's not the father, most people have one logical explanation, right? God did it usually doesn't work, right? So she, by saying yes to God, she's literally putting herself at risk, knowing that it, it very well could cost her her life. This is such an act, such a leap of trust, such a leap in faith that she would say yes to God, knowing that if things didn't go according to plan, it could cost her everything. Not to mention the responsibility of raising the Son of God? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like, the, the pressure? The way, I mean, there's enough pressure as it is just raising normal children. Everybody pays attention to watch, and everybody has, you know, opinions on how you should raise your kids, you know, and all these different things. Imagine that your kid is the Son of God. Like, you don't want to mess that up. Right? That's a lot of pressure. You know, she may or may not have known this, but we're talking about her story 2,000 years later. 
Do you want somebody talking about your parenting in 2,000 years? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And she just says, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Just incredible trust. Incredible faith. And she said yes to God. And those of you who have read ahead in the story, you know what happens. You know that her husband finds out, and it takes an angel to convince him not to divorce her, right? She travels when she's eight and a half months pregnant, gives birth in a totally different town. She has the responsibility of raising from an infant the Son of God, the responsibility that is. She has to watch him as, the, as Jesus goes about and, and starts fulfilling the ministry of the Messiah in a way that nobody ever expected, so much so that she and uh, Jesus' other brothers and sisters actually think he's crazy. She has to watch later on as he's uh, arrested and given an unfair, maybe illegal trial as he is uh, sentenced to crucifixion by the Roman governor. She has to watch her son die the excruciating death of crucifixion. She's witnessed three days, three nights later to the fact that Jesus really was raised from the dead. This woman's decision to say yes to God has literally altered the course of human history. We base our calendar off the birth of her son. You know, I think sometimes we're, we're often hesitant to give Mary her due because of the way that she is um, venerated in the Roman Catholic Church. But I think sometimes we, we pull too far to the other side and we, we, we don't sing her song loudly enough. This was a, a huge deal. Had Mary not said, I, I mean, I believe that God would have worked in another way to fulfill his promise. I believe that. But what if Mary had said no? What if she had said I'm too scared. Uh, that's, not, that's not my plan for my life, God. I, I, I envisioned things going a different way. Can you find somebody else? Right? I believe God still would have figured out a way to accomplish his plan of salvation because he's God. But, but it was because Mary said yes at that particular time, in that particular culture, that events as we know it unfolded. One woman's decision to say yes to God has literally changed the world. So you might be asking, okay, so what? Right. Chances are, none of you are going to give birth to the Son of God. What, what does this matter? How does this apply to our lives? Well, first, I just first and foremost, I think Mary's worthy of our admiration. When we understand the gravity of what she was told, the gravity of what she went through, the fact that she just said yes to God to begin with, I think she's worthy of admiration. We admire men like Moses and men like David and, 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 and other Peter and Paul. We, we look at them, we admire them, we say they're examples to be followed at times. I think Mary's worthy of our admiration. Her simple childlike trust in God, her decision to say yes to God, in spite of not knowing all of the details, not knowing how it would work out, in spite of being great risk to herself, she said yes, and I think that's worthy of admiration and emulation, and I think her song deserves to be sung. Without Mary saying yes, 
we, we wouldn't have the New Testament as we know it. I don't know how God would have worked to accomplish his plan. He would have done it another way, but it wouldn't have been the way that it worked out. We're gathered here in the name of her son because she said yes to God. So on, on one hand, Mary really was exceptional, right? She was an exception in that no one else is going to give birth to the Son of God. It's not going to happen to anybody else. So uh, on one hand, she's exceptional. But on the other hand, she's also very unexceptional. There was nothing looking at her, nobody would be able to say, I bet you she's the one. I bet you she's the one. It's not like, I don't even know how you would do that, right? How you look at somebody and say, I bet they're going to give birth to the Messiah. From the outside, she was very unexceptional. A relative nobody living in the middle of nowhere, and yet she was the one that God chose to do world-changing things through. So the point I want to make is that God calls unexceptionable people to do exceptional things. God calls unexceptionable, I can't say that word, unexceptional people to do exceptional things. So maybe you think you're unexceptional. Nobody pays that much attention to you. You're a relative nobody living, you know, maybe sort of in, in the middle of nowhere. Most people in the world don't know where Bloomington, Indiana is. Some people do because they've been here, they've lived in Indiana, but you know, maybe you feel like you're unexceptional. You're like, well, yeah, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the best looking, I'm not the richest, you know, I'm, just, I'm just average. Hey, that's me too. <laughs> that's me too, Larry, right? So the point of this story is take heart because God uses unexceptional, hi, huh, I said it right, God uses unexceptional people to do exceptional things if we're willing to say yes to God. As a matter of fact, as we read through the Bible from front to back, we see that God often intentionally chooses unexceptional people to do exceptional things because that means that he gets the glory, right? And we don't have any room to boast or to brag about our ability. So if you think that you're unexceptional, you might be just in, right, in just the right place for God to do something exceptional in and through you. But we have to be willing to say yes to God. Are you willing to say yes? Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if there's risk. Even if it might cost you Something or everything. Are you willing to say yes to God? I don't think Mary fully understood the implications of her decision to say yes. I mean, she, knowing that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, I mean, she knows there's going to be big implications there, but the, the ramifications of her decision to say yes, are still happening today. We're here today in this room, or those of you who are watching online or listening in the future, you're doing that now because of Mary's decision to say yes. We don't know. You've heard me say this before. I, I, I steal it from one of my favorite preachers. We don't know what hangs in the balance 
of our decision to say yes to God. God may ask you to do something that's so far outside of your comfort zone, that's so risky that you, you just think you can't do it, but you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes, of the generations of people in the future who may benefit from your decision to say yes to God. You don't have to be exceptional. You don't have to be the smartest, the best looking, the strongest, the fastest, the richest, the most put together, the most educated. You just have to be willing to say yes. Mary's willingness to say yes changed the world. And hers is a story. Hers is a song that ought to be sung. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who time and time again chooses to work through unexceptional people to do exceptional things. Father, I thank you that you are a God who chooses to work in men and women alike to do exceptional things. Lord, I thank you that there have been people like Mary who have been willing to say yes to you and what you've asked of them, despite the risk and despite the cost and despite the interruption. Lord, I pray that we can be more like Mary. I pray that we can have that simple trust in you, that willingness to say yes to whatever it is that you may ask. Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to say yes, not knowing that our decision to say yes might have world-changing ramifications. Lord, I thank you for Mary. I thank you for her trust in you and for the, for the way that you were able to work in and through her to accomplish the salvation of the world. Father, as we sing her song, we're really singing your song because you're the one who picked her and you're the one who chose her. Lord, as we study this series, I just thank you that you have been a God who chooses men and women alike. And for those who may be in the room hearing you ask them to do something, or those who may be watching online or listening in the future who are hearing your still small voice Ask them to do something. Maybe they're men, maybe they're women, maybe they're young, maybe they're old. But as you place upon their hearts something that you have them to do, I pray that you would bring them to remembrance of Mary and her simple courage. That you would inspire them to say yes. Father, may we have the childlike trust and faith of your servant Mary, whose decision to say yes changed the world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.